0: analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics podcast. My name is Mike Lewis. I'm professor of marketing and analytics at Emory University, and I am joined by Mr. Doug Battle. How are you, Doug?
1: Mike, I'm doing quite well. Um, Saturday's basketball game, I was pulling for UCLA, but I will say the friend that I watched it with, we were pulling for a buzzer beater more than anything the entire game. That game deserved a buzzer beater and a half-court overtime buzzer beater for Gonzaga to remain undefeated and make the national championship. Made my weekend as a sports fan. That's what we want when we watch March Madness. And so, I'm doing well. To think this time last year, we were without sports. And looking into documentaries and talking about if we would ever see sports with audiences again. It's a beautiful time just just to have some historic moments in in March Madness.
0: Well, we are taping on Monday, April 5th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. So the national championship game is in the future though. when we release the podcast it will be in the past so we will <laughs> yeah. circle back to we will come back to the ncaa tournament recap that next week and uh, are you rooting for gonzaga then sounds like you're uh you're all in on the Zags.
1: i've actually got some family that's has uh, got baylor ties so i think my thing every game in march madness where it's not one of my teams i just pull for a crazy good game and a buzzer beater which is exactly what i got on saturday exactly what we've been missing this whole tournament and uh, yeah i'd like to see it again i'd like to see uh, some overtime some uh some buzzer beaters you know what's crazy mike is uh in Barstool sports tweeted this the buzzer beater occurred on april 3rd 2021 so four three two one <laughs> okay pretty crazy Uh, numerology coming up into the future (laughs) science
0: (laughs) okay Uh, you know the other thing you referenced is that last year at this time we just had a documentary yeah there's a great documentary um michael jordan is a cultural icon Mm -hmm. sort of still relevant after 20 plus years we will address michael jordan or he'll be part of the topic for today what i want to talk about is three three stories that are going on three stories that highlight the fact that Sports is part of the culture, and you know, at this point in 2021, when we think about sports stories, we're thinking about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. We're thinking about politics. We're thinking about culture. The world has you know, I, I think we used to be kind of in silos of this was entertainment, this was politics. I think everything is absolutely connected,? Right? So the three stories in order, Doug, uh, number one: Aaron Rogers the guest host of Jeopardy for two weeks. <laughs> number two, the release of I don't even know what it's called. We'll call it Space Jam Two. I think that's what the it's LeBron called. story. Yeah, uh, and then number three, Major League Baseball's decision to remove the All Star Game from Atlanta. The Atlanta sports curse continues. Continues and new and different ways. Each event,
1: every it's amazing. It's amazing, and we'll get to that. But you wanted to start with Aaron Rodgers.
0: Aaron Rodgers. Hosting Jeopardy. Any thoughts?
1: Um, I don't know. Like, are Packers fans more likely to tune in? Is Jeopardy really targeting that that big Green Bay demographic?
0: Well, what is um, what does Aaron Rodgers mean? Does he transcend Green Bay fans?
1: I I guess yeah. I mean
0: through the state, is it Allstate or St- State Farm? State commercials? Farm state, might be his claim
1: to State Farm discount double check. I don't know. I think I think Aaron Rodgers is certainly someone that's put himself into the GOAT conversation. I think Tom Brady more recently kind of solidified himself as that guy. But being a part of that conversation makes you culturally relevant beyond the sport. And so I think we've seen that with Aaron Rodgers. Even like his dating life will be in the tabloids and, and followed by people that don't even follow sports. And so he has become somewhat of a okay. celebrity. Go ahead.
0: I'm, I'm raising my hand. Who has he dated? I'm not... Oh, not... let me, let
1: me, let me, let me, let me check this one.
0: Well, as you check it, let me read the, uh, some of the commentary or sort of the, the details about the, the Jeopardy gig. It was announced in early January that Rogers would join the likes of Katie Couric, Anderson Cooper, Mayim Bialik, the Blossom, I believe, and 60 Minutes correspondent Bill Whitaker as guest host on Jeopardy following the death of Alex Trebek at age 80. Um, So, it's a—I don't know—that that strikes me as a strange list of guest hosts to put out there. Um, in that, when I look at that collection of folks, they all seem like they're potential candidates to take on that gig on a permanent basis.
1: Yeah, uh, maybe it's a tryout.
0: Well, I mean, they—they they all kind of fit. I mean, you know, the—I uh, don't know what Carrie, uh, what Katie Couric is doing full time. Uh, Anderson Cooper definitely wants to, you know, growing his media brand. Um, Amy Farrah Fowler or Blossom, right? I mean, they're kind of a nice tie in in terms of what she's got going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it it does seem like there may be some potential. I mean, and, and look, maybe this is a complete lark. Maybe there is no potential. But I think this is the fun part to think about, right? That Aaron Rodgers is going to walk away from the Green Bay Packers and become the host of jeopardy doug you can tell me i'm full of crap if you want i
1: yeah i don't think that's gonna happen no i (laughs) am not making that prediction i will say this is indicative that like he's probably looking into the broadcast world um maybe not as a journalist but some some type of television contract after his football careers. We often see players start to maneuver. I know Michael Strahan was a guy that expressed interest in that and was doing commercials when he was a player. Um in a sense become I think to today's kids, they don't even know that he was a football player. He's had this whole career beyond football. I'm biased to the Giants. I know Tiki Barber tried the same thing. He was on the Today show. So, uh, Aaron Rodgers j- diving into that world is no surprise to me, especially knowing and I'm looking here at his dating life. Oh, you got something to say?
0: <laughs> no, go go on with his dating okay. life. Because I think we need to paint the entire picture of this celebrity.
1: He's engaged to Sh- Shailene Woodley, who is an actress from Fault in Our Stars.
0: Yes. And and I, she also had one of these, uh, she was in one of these um, trilogies, these teenage girl <laughs> dystopian uh, novels. I, you know, I forget my- where they, I think they were um, on uh, doing some sort of... Uh, Riding a wire down from the Sears Tower, I actually saw that one.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't keep up with the teenage girl dystopian uh, novel <laughs> films, but that's more your area of expertise, I guess.
0: Okay, so in about three weeks, we will be reviewing the fandom implications of the Hunter Ga- Hunger Games trilogy <laughs> as punishment to Doug Battle for the mockery.
1: Um, he previously dated Danica Patrick, S- Sports Illustrated swimsuit model, as well. Um, that he, that he dated uh, olivia munn from the x-men apocalypse girl from gossip girl jessica i mean it's it's all celebrities it's all actresses models and so his life has been followed beyond football for quite some time because all of these people who he's dating their lives are followed in that capacity
0: so where do you think he lives green bay with that
1: it's probably in california
0: yeah. Uh, so I looked it up, and so Alex Trebek made ten million dollars per year. Yeah. And so I get. I guess the scenario is, if you could, uh, and let's say he's making thirty or forty million dollars a year right now, right? Playing quarterback, and he's got, I don't know, anywhere between one and five more years of playing. Yeah. Would you make that trade to not getting hit <laughs> on Sundays? And you got And one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, you know, I grew up with game shows. This was a mainstay of daytime television. I suspect game shows are pretty foreign to to folks in your generation. But the nice thing about game show host was you could potentially do it until you're well, Alex Trebek, eighty, or Bob Barker. Bob Barker seemed like he was about eighty. Um, that you could do that gig forever.
1: Yeah, it'd be a pretty good retirement plan for someone like that financially. Of course, he doesn't need it. So it's like, would you rather get hit and make $40 million or not get hit and make $10 million or not do anything and be totally fine also? Um, And I think it's interesting that these guys tend to have desires beyond sports when they don't need money. Because most of us think of like, if I had all the money in the world, like I probably wouldn't be working this job, you know, like that's that's how people think and these athletes tend to gravitate toward the media world after their career it's like they find they find a purpose and they mm-hmm. find they're so competitive and they, they want to reach the top in something else when, when sports are no longer an option
0: i think everyone wants to be something else right yeah particularly celebrities mm-hmm. athletes want to be rock stars rock stars want to be actors. athletes
1: want to be politicians yeah.
0: um e- everyone wants to be an athlete there's kind of a there's kind of a real problem with that transition. Athletes up.
1: want to be rappers. We've seen that. Kobe, Shaq, uh, Damian Lillard all have rap projects. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting to me because uh, these guys are fully accomplished. And, and the other thing to me is you look at the guys like on Inside the NBA on TNT, like Shaquille O'Neal and, and Charles Barkley, and it almost, to me, can, like someone like Kenny Smith, make you forget that they were a serious athlete, that they were a force to be reckoned with that was feared by opponents at one point. Shaquille O'Neal is a great example of that because he's such a goofball on television.
0: Well, look, I mean, I, I can imagine a scenario where, and again, this is just playing out for fun. So Aaron Rodgers leaves the Packers, retires from the Packers, becomes the host of jeopardy for 10, 15 years. And, and look, what a great game show to host. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's almost like a pretend intellectual credential that comes with that. Mm-hmm. Like you must be about the smartest man in the world to host the most intellectual game show. And then he becomes the senator from Wisconsin <laughs> and eventually ends up in the in the White House. And so it's almost a uh, and, and look, people like to have fun in their careers. Uh, you know, I, I half think that someone like Aaron Rodgers might be looking at it like, you know, the world is the world is his oyster, so to speak.
1: Yeah. I and and I know we're getting space jam after this, but I could see LeBron Taking a similar route as far as he's already been an activist um, as an athlete, and he has a a, a following, and he's respected and in, in certain crowds, and it's like I could see him running for president one day. I know that sounds crazy, but I mean, we just had you know the host of
0: the Apprentice, yeah, the Apprentice, the host
1: of the Apprentice, uh, you know, as president for four years. So I don't think it's that far fetched to start. You know, seeing these athletes take those, and we've seen in Alabama, Tommy Tuberville, former Auburn coach, is now a U.S. senator, um, largely because of the name that he built as a football coach.
0: Well, I think a lot of you know, I think Tom Osborne from Nebraska mm-hmm. um, did that, did, took that route. I, I want to say Steve Largent, uh, Seattle wide receiver, spent some time in Congress as well, mm-hmm. uh, but. Okay, so switching to Space Jam. LeBron mm-hmm. and Space Jam. Okay, so in my notes, the first thing I wrote down, well the first two things I wrote down. Number one, was this needed? No. And number two, is this just LeBron playing out some battle with Michael Jordan on a different <laughs>
1: yes. on a different playing field? Um the answers are no and yes. Was it needed? no but very few films are needed especially sequel films uh it's they know how much they're getting putting out a movie like this with this title with this branding with this actor athlete and uh, lebron knows that jordan had this film and that's part of his image part of his brand i think for me as a kid that did not watch michael jordan play in the finals in 1996 or, or some of those historic games. My first introduction to Michael Jordan as the GOAT was in Space Jam as a child because you watch and you watch Looney Tunes and that's that's what you grow up watching every morning. And then you see this and he's, he's portrayed as godlike in that movie. And from there, I go and watch his highlights and I'm like, yeah, this guy's definitely the greatest. And a whole generation of people like me that have been saying, you know, LeBron doesn't compare to Jordan or whatnot. And, and I think it, it increases the longevity and the generational influence of a player. And so I absolutely think that there, this would not be happening, most likely, if not for uh, Michael Jordan's you know, brand and, and the role that Space Jam played in creating a, a brand of, of him being considered the GOAT by an entire generation.
0: Okay, so I'm going to rely on you a little bit here. Um <coughs> flicking myself off um okay so doug i'm gonna rely a little bit on you here because it's been a long time for me and uh space jam was um 1996 i was 29 years old space jam was it's a kid's movie Mm -hmm. and so i I think i've seen it i don't think i've ever seen it the whole way through in one sitting what what do you think of the movie um I, i looked it up and or at least I found an article that said it has a forty three percent score on Rotten Tomatoes. I was about to look that up. <laughs> now that's a little bit unfair to you know look at critic re- critic reviews of a kids movie. <laughs> what, what I mean, do you like the movie? Or I mean, are did, we
1: did younger Doug like the movie? Younger Doug Doug loved the movie. Um, I would say of the silly basketball movies that have poor reviews, like Mike, is my favorite. Another movie with michael jordan ties although he is not in that movie uh, but space jam was another favorite i think it's kind of a cult classic because people our age like like i said like that's how we grew up watching michael jordan and so there's kind of this joke comparison when when lebron accomplishes anything where we say yeah but did he take down the mon stars with a team full of looney tunes um LeBron could never do that, and only Jordan could do that. And so it's part of the legend of Michael Jordan. Um, and we loved it. We loved it growing up. I, yeah, I think if you watch it and you're comparing it to Citizen Kane or uh, 2001 Space Odyssey, you're probably going to be like, this isn't, you know, the same kind of film because it's not. I mean, it is a kid's movie, um, but it's entertaining. It's intentionally silly. I mean, it's Looney Tunes.
0: Okay. So, so now. I'm struggling to come up with my next question for you on this. Um, So it 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 was kind of a culmination for Jordan, right? So kind of like he look, he he won all the championships. Then he did a movie with a cultural icon and Bugs Bunny. Well, he did baseball between
1: that, and they tied that in as well. They tied his his kind of off, you know, his non basketball career in into the storyline.
0: But but so it was kind of his. Capstone, Mm -hmm. perhaps, Mm -hmm. in in a way, Um, really cementing his brand. Now, and I think we've got to think about the history of all this. Um, Jordan was really, it was a different era in terms of sports marketing and sports branding. And the Jordan team was doing this from the ground up. They were doing this without a lot of exemplars in terms of turning an athlete into a, you know, potentially a billion dollar marketing brand. And Moving to the the media side made a lot of sense. Well, and and let me say one other thing. And, you know, as someone that was watching when Jordan was playing, the way Jordan was portrayed in the media, there was a big smile. Mm -hmm. Jordan seemed like a lot of fun. (laughs) Now, we learned from the documentary (laughs) that Jordan (laughs) was the most cutthroat, psychopathic, overly competitive guy of all time. Right. Right. But that really wasn't sort of out there in terms of the public persona. So now when I fast forward and I see this reboot, I, I have some questions. So number one, when I think of the two players, I think of Michael Jordan smiling on a Wheaties box. I think of LeBron scowling at people. Is that fair?
1: I think a lot of people think of LeBron scowling at people. Um, yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think I've, I've seen some criticisms jokingly you know criticisms of lebron um just from the trailer of this where he's trying to build a super team in that trailer with superman on his team and the iron giant (laughs) and all these things and and so lebron's reputation as a competitor is much different to a lot of people than michael jordan's was
0: it's got a different feel to it Mm -hmm. right okay so number two our bugs bunny and this is a little bit tough Are Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd and Daffy Duck, are they as culturally relevant in 2021 as they are in
1: 1996? No, no, there's no way. I mean, I think 1996, and I was born in 1996, um, so growing up, the years following that, watching cartoons, that, A, that style of animation was the only thing. I mean, that 2D animation, I mean, Bugs Bunny was animated television. Everything else was kind of knockoff Looney Tunes. Uh, but Looney Tunes was all you had, and that was what you watched every morning. Um, and, and so it was relevant. Every kid knew it. Every kid knew those characters. Now, I would imagine... There's so many options. The style has changed dramatically. I would imagine that for children, like much fewer children are even familiar with the Looney Tunes. Um, and, and I think it's almost like adults are the ones that are most familiar, but also are like less likely to into a Looney Tunes film, of course, except for LeBron fans, which is quite a few people. And I, I do think there's going to be a lot of 2-3 jerseys in, in those movie theaters.
0: I don't even... You know, and here's one of the questions. Are Looney Tunes even... I, I don't know that where they would be on cable TV. I mean, do, do kids... Yeah what what is the awareness rate for who bugs bunny is amongst 10 year olds or whoever this well, movie, I mean they're not watching movie is Target. they're
1: not watching cable tv they're watching disney plus right. and they're watching netflix um and so and like is that content on those streaming services i'm sure it's on there somewhere um somewhere. but so is like a million other things <laughs> and a lot of them are more aimed and directed toward today's generation of children whereas looney tunes oh. was was i mean is largely aimed at a, at a completely different generation.
0: How much of Looney Tunes has been canceled? Um how much <laughs> of Looney Tunes is now inappropriate where mm-hmm. um one of the major plots is Elmer Fudd trying to shoot Bugs Bunny with a shotgun. Mm-hmm. Is that still something that can be that that can be aired regularly or is that something that ends up being behind a parental screen if there is you know I, I'm sure the WB is on some mm-hmm the wb content is on some streaming service i have, like We're i said probably like you own. said i have no idea which one yeah. but
1: um I, I think the number one thing i've seen as far as discussion on this film coming up is lola bunny and how she was in the 1996 film had me a read a want me to read
0: a passage about lola bunny
1: <laughs> i don't know if i do but she she had a, <laughs> a certain silhouette um that maybe now people might perceive as unrealistic expectations for a woman it's silly because it's an animated bunny but and now she's given a little bit different features that people have griped about uh playfully i think but i I do think that's indicative of the fact that you know the former successful formula for looney tunes might not work in today's day and age and they have to adapt and, and there's some pushback on that as well
0: Okay, here's the, and this is from an article from IndieWire. Space Jam 2 caused a stir recently when Warner Brothers debuted a new character look for Lola Bunny. In an interview, Malcolm Lee said he realized how not politically correct mm. the original character was. Space Jam 2 will be reimagining her character as just another teammate whose strength and athletic skills are her most notable assets.
1: Yeah. And, and I think uh, I've seen quite a bit of chatter on on Twitter, people talking about how their first crush was Lola Bunny, um, which, again, is silly. But as there was, you know, to a different generation, it, it was a different kind of appeal. I think Warner Bros. is trying to adapt and trying to stay relevant and not be canceled in, in this day and age. But um, I think it's going to feel somewhat inauthentic to the people that knew those characters in a different way.
0: Well, let's, um, you know, let's be explicit about it. So if there are different segments in play, and I think with kids' movies, you're always trying to go for this, uh, this kind of effect where the, the kids are enjoying the action, the entertainment, and the parents are getting a, a joke on a different level. Right,
1: exactly. Okay?
0: And so in this case, if the parents are the ones that are interested in Looney Tunes, because the parents are the ones that know Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck and want to expose their kid to it, then suddenly it's the older generation that is now faced with the new, you know, the, the new global political mm-hmm. guidance in terms of uh, the, the the Lola Bunny character and you know, is that going to work, or is that going to be a little bit off for that segment? You know, who who knows? Um, okay, so now to the really the core of this, though, the core of this discussion. Now, I've seen a movie called Trainwreck. Maybe it's called Trainwreck, an Amy Schumer vehicle mm-hmm. that includes LeBron James. Yes. as uh, uh, as LeBron James. I enjoyed LeBron James in that film. Mm-hmm. In terms of the one minute trailer that was released, mm. or approximately one minute trailer that was released, his acting <laughs> looked stiff beyond belief to me. Am I getting this wrong, or is this the what's the universal assessment out there?
1: I, I don't know the universal. I don't know if there's a Rotten Tomatoes for movie trailers. Trailers. <laughs> um, I will say, anytime I've ever seen a non actor in a film. It is like glaringly obvious and and i think there was a um, some kind of military film where they used the actual soldiers that were survivors in the film to try to make it feel authentic uh that came out maybe five years ago and the result was it felt very inauthentic because these guys were not actors they they had experienced and they were trying to recreate uh but they didn't know how to do that and i think with lebron and something like Looney Tunes where there's so much green screen and he's not interacting with actual characters around him and he's talking to the air. For an actor, I think that is a very difficult thing. For someone that's not a trained actor, uh, LeBron is a professional in a very different profession. And he's an excellent professional in a very different profession. And so I, I think it helps you to appreciate um, the, pr- e- the profession of acting and-, and not just anybody can step in front of a camera and-, and be great at it. He's not going to win any Oscars for his performance, I, I-, I wouldn't <laughs> imagine.
0: Well, you know, and, and look, I think that's a good, fair way of putting it out there. You don't want to start in a major. You don't want your first real acting gig to be in a major film production, right? I mean, that that is in fact a no-win situation. Um, now, of course, I suspect he also doesn't want to work his way up from the community playhouse. Yeah, the and indie films. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> so for someone like that, I don't know. It's tricky to me because when you're trying to and I th- LeBron will say that he's not, you know, competing with Jordan or whatnot. I think it's clear from day one with him wearing number twenty three out the gate of his career, um, with him seeming to chase championships at every stop and making decisions based on where he's most likely to get that number of rings, and then moving to Los Angeles and pursuing the same exact film, the same exact film franchise as Michael Jordan. Like, I think it's pretty clear that LeBron wants to surpass or be equal to MJ. And when you're trying to cement yourself as the GOAT and you want everyone to view you as that, I I do think it can be risky to put yourself out there in, in an arena that's not your area of expertise, something that you're not great at.
0: Okay. But how can you, how can you, how can you surpass Michael Jordan? When you're starring in, as we called it, Space Jam Two.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. You can't.
0: You know how how can you do that when you're going into the sequel? You're. What what else could he have done? I guess right. Something I mean, it's almost like he's different. established himself as part two to Michael Jordan.
1: Yeah, and part two is just never as good as part one, which is the whole thing with LeBron. I mean, that's yeah. that's kind of people's. I think that's the mass. Um, I know there's people that think LeBron's greater or, or whatnot, but I, I do think that's kind of the consensus: is that part two is just just not quite as good as part one, but it's worth watching because it's better than nothing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know, and and look, I, I don't know how much Jordan thinks about the Jordan brand or who the people are that think about the Jordan legacy, mm-hmm. but damn, they get it right, don't they? Oh yeah, I mean that last dance documentary. The fact that they're still, you know, they established this, the the most lucrative brand under the Nike heading, Um, but, you know, he's still completely relevant in, I mean, I I know, you know, you actually referenced it, right? That when we first, a year ago, we didn't have sports. We had that documentary. Maybe sometimes he just kind of like the stars shine on him too, Mm -hmm. for that documentary to come out when there was nothing else happening.
1: What are the chances? Yeah.
0: Yeah, what are the chances? (laughs) And the documentary was so brilliant in terms of highlighting his cultural impact at the time, but also changing the narrative and changing the story in terms of him now being this ultra cutthroat, competitive guy. And like those stories, and I I forget the names, but like like that's when he's inventing stories, when he's inventing rivalries. You know, he it, it gets better and better and better, and then the competition comes up with. Space Jam Mm 2. I mean, this is probably too harsh.
1: Well, yeah, I think it is. I think there's also (laughs) an aspect to this we haven't really discussed. The fact is LeBron probably got offered a lot of money to just go make some silly film, and he said, yeah, why not? (laughs) I mean, it could be as simple as that and and less about him competing with Michael Jordan because uh, Michael Jordan... I, th- I think the real 2.0 to Michael was as a player was Kobe Bryant. As far as his skill set, um, I mean, almost identical height and weight, almost identical scoring moves and, and percentages on the floor. I mean, they're, they're very similar players. Jordan is a completely different type. I mean, he's a different position, different type of athlete, um, and probably just as good of an athlete, but but in a different world. You know, it's it's a different. It's like comparing, you know, Kareem and Jordan. Uh, it's it's hard to compare. And so LeBron's every move has been in the shadow of Jordan.
0: Wearing, I, I, and I agree with that. Wearing number 23. And I mean, uh, I, I assume I know what happens, right? Jordan makes 23, the number, and then the best player on every high school team grabs 23 and it becomes their number. But from that number 23 to a very strategic approach to endorsements a strategic approach to deciding where you're going to play all the way through you know doing his shoe deal with with Nike as well all the way through mm-hmm. i mean if i was giving a little marketing advice it, and you really wanted to differentiate differentiate your brand rather than almost always and i think you use the phrase in the shadow of do something different.
1: Well, I think of Steph Curry with uh, Under Armour, like he Man. was like their first big signee, and Kawhi Leonard with New Balance, and those guys. It's like they have a very distinct. Curry feels like the goat in a different way than Jordan feels like the goat. Like Curry's the goat point guard, or Curry's the goat shooter. Um, he feels like he's himself, and he's he's not chasing anybody else. He's not in anybody else's shadow. With LeBron, it has always been. Uh, and, and strategically, so, maybe even maybe it 's beneficial to be thought of as you know the almost Jordan Ooh. from a business standpoint, but he has always been in that shadow, um like you said with Nike and with twenty three like yes, does the best player want to wear that in elementary school? Yeah, but you look across like Kobe were yeah. eight and twenty four um Tracy yeah. McGrady were you know number one Vince Carter were number fifteen I mean that generation of players that followed Jordan. 23 was was kind of untouchable nobody was nobody had the gall to to wear that and nobody wanted to be compared and i think it's it speaks to lebron's confidence and his willingness to wear that and the amount of pressure that came on him with the amount of hype he had in high school um going into the nba and and it's impressive the career that he's had wearing that number for you know a, a large portion of that career um, but with that said if if he's trying to compete with Michael Jordan, I, I don't know that it's the best move, and I don't know that doing a sequel to a Jordan film, um, especially a sequel that already, they changed so much of the branding, so much of the colors, so much of the story, so much, it feels like it might be, like where it feels a little off to people that liked the first one.
0: Yeah, I mean, in some ways, have some fun with it. Go to Disney, right? <sighs> Go to Disney and play with... uh You know, play with uh, Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck. (laughs) Okay, so bring us to our last topic for today. And this is the most joyful part of, look, and I've said this so many times, this podcast is about studying fandom, mostly in the realm of sports. But when we're studying fandom in the realm of sports, then culture and politics are increasingly gonna be something that, that that comes into the equation. And it does make for kind of makes for a sort of awkward conversation. Mm-hmm. Suddenly you feel like you're 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 walking through a landmine trying to avoid a verbal mistake. But this last Friday, and here what's the a little clip from ESPN, Major League Baseball announced on Friday that it is moving the 2021 All-Star game out of Atlanta in response to a new Georgia law that has civil rights groups concerned about its potential to restrict voting access for people of color. The 2021 MLB draft, a new addition to the All-Star Game festivities this year, will also be relocated. On some level, Doug, I actually found that second sentence to be, uh, the final sentence to be the more interesting one. That MLB is now adding the draft package to the All-Star Game. That they're trying to... They're trying to create finally create some of this hoopla that the NBA and the NFL have always enjoyed in terms of their in terms of their drafts.
1: Well, what are there like thirty rounds <laughs> MLB draft
0: of high school kids yeah. and guys from the Dominican Republic? That no, yeah. <laughs> Nobody,
1: there's no. I mean, we talk about how they're with basketball. We talk about how yeah, there used to be established brands because these guys have been in college for four years, um, and now we only see them for one year. Or we only see them play overseas for one year. There's still some name recognition, and you still get the Zion's of the world with baseball. Uh, you know, you got a couple guys that go play college, but a, a lot of guys getting drafted out of high school. I mean, most of those names are just totally foreign. It'd be like playing a video game and doing a automated draft where they just make up players. You you don't really know what you're getting, or there's, there's no buzz around anybody. Except for the, the occasional Bryce Harper, or uh, I remember Steven Strasburg as a, as a prospect as well.
0: Well, but it's even worse, right? Because not only do we not know who the prospects are, even if you build up the hype about the prospects, for the most part, they don't start in the major leagues. They go play minor leagues. Yeah, league they're baseball. not going to
1: change your team next year. There's not that. So they
0: disappear for a few years. Yeah,
1: it's it's um it's like what's more exciting as a football fan, like to get the number one pick for this year and get a quarterback that could change the course of your franchise's history, or to get a some pick. You're not sure if it's going to be a number one pick or seventh round pick in a couple years, and you'll just see what happens. Like that's kind of how baseball works, (laughs) Um, and and so there. Driving excitement for that, I think, would be it's got to be a much more niche niche following. Following, you know, the prospects in baseball.
0: Okay, to the politics side of this, CNN headline. I love this headline because I think it perfectly encapsulates America in twenty twenty one. Obama congratulates MLB for taking a stand against Georgia election law as Trump calls for boycott.
1: Yes. That's America
0: and it's um it's perfect in a way in terms of being able to sum it up so quickly uh in terms of I guess sort of the two standard bearers for the major political parties. now I will also say that in this case and and I think this is where it becomes uh well the, the major political par- parties are now equivalent to the two major Subcultures in America, and I think those subcultures also largely map on potentially two major consumer segments, especially in terms of the world of sports um It is well, like I said, you know as we started out joking about this, and I'm not really joking about it anymore, this idea of an Atlanta sports curse. <laughs> Because this one has actually made me a complete believer, Doug.
1: Yeah, welcome to the club. Something
0: <laughs> will happen wrong, no matter.
1: You what's can't even going get an All Star game. Like an All Star game is supposed to be a win for the community, a win for your sports franchise, for the stadium, for the sponsors for, across the board. Like there's no risk. You can't lose an All Star game unless you're Atlanta and you literally lose the MLB and the NBA All Star game in, in a single season.
0: Okay, now I also don't want to, I don't want to spend too much time talking about it because th- this story actually feels, even though this one's kind of new and kind of unprecedented. And I'll be honest with you, I actually think this one is huge, because I think, in a way, to me, it, it feels like this kind of cultural breakdown is is coming to a head. Um, there's been all sorts of activity. Uh, all sorts of activities in terms of even the local Georgia business community Mm -hmm. weighing in on this. And so there was a quote from the CEO of Delta Airlines. The entire rationale for this Georgia bill was based on a lie that there was widespread voter fraud in Georgia in the 2020 elections. Uh, This is simply not true. Unfortunately, that excuse is being used in states across the nation that are attempting to pass similar legislation to restrict voting. rights. Okay. So the, the Fortune 500 companies in Georgia are weighing in largely against the Georgia law. And, I mean, if not in favor of Major League Baseball's decision, um, sort of correlated. Right. Now, in parallel to that, we've got some other interesting things that have happened. There's a Washington Post article that is behind a paywall, paywall so I don't have the details, but that they gave Joe Biden's statement about the Georgia mm-hmm voting law for Pinocchios, which means that even some of these liberal organiz- mm-hmm. liberal press organizations are suggesting that the story is not all that cut and dry. There was a Brian Kemp uh, posting that I think went all over social media contrasting the Georgia voting law with the New York voting rules and basically showing that Georgia compared fairly, mm-hmm. you know, was fairly, uh, was actually looser in terms of voting restrictions. Mm-hmm. Okay, so all of that. And I, I don't I don't have any I don't have any energy and I don't think you do either no. in terms of actually digging into the legislation. This is all just a way of sort of highlighting the fact that this cultural split continues and to me it actually seems like it's accelerating. So when I think about like let's say Delta and Coca-Cola coming out against the Georgia law, where I Where I wonder, and and sort of I'll just, um, no conclusions this week, but just ask the question of how does this story going to end? It seems like we've now reached a point where a lot of forces on the progressive left have, you know, gotten uh, major corporations, tech players, and even old school industrial firms to be on their side in these political debates. Mm -hmm. And I think folks like Brian Kemp and the Georgia Republicans have now been kind of pushed with their back to the wall. Mm-hmm. I don't have any sense of how this, uh, it, let me, I mean, and I know you, we kind of want to avoid a lot of these kind of, let's say political landmines. Yeah. Do you see any room for a compromise in any, in any of this? Uh, or are these guys now, you know, they've set it up so no one can take a step back.
1: Yeah. I, I think it's an interesting situation uh, because of course, all these Organizations are entitled to to their own opinion and, and have those freedoms, um, but do they have the power to change law? Do do does Delta and and Coca Cola do they have the power to change law? And uh, another interesting observation to me with, with you t- mentioning the comparison to New York's laws, and I don't know how they compare, and I'm not going to look into that. Um, we live in the information age where there's so much information available and yet it's very difficult to discern what information is true and what information is biased and what info i mean most information is biased that that's being floated around Um, but with that said these kinds of moves to me seem to be and i say these types of moves maybe not this one specifically like i said i'm not the expert on the details of this bill and all the rest but these type of moves seem to be less about the the facts and more about how they make people feel because it could be very true that it's very comparable to New York's voting laws, um, but I think that there's a large segment of people that would still support moving the game and and boycotting and all these things simply because of the optics and how it makes people feel and how um, you know how it's been presented and so that's such an interesting part of our society in this day and age um certainly a dangerous part of our society i think but i think we're seeing that more more and more often and uh, you know with i mean i think we saw president you know president trump was involved with the big ten and and now it seems like biden's got things to say about the mlb it's becoming more and more intertwined our sports culture and our political culture as as we've discussed over and over again on the show i like
0: that i like that word Mm intertwine because i think that's that's a good way of thinking about it and this is the you know some of of, some of the things that these discussions kind of lead to nowhere right so something happens there's a projection that this is going to cause fandom for that league to crash (laughs) it doesn't really crash but it drops off by a few percentage points and then there's this endless argument about well did it matter or was it something else when you make the point that these things become intertwined, I think that is the crucial observation that all of this stuff is now hopelessly intertwined, And now, when I think about the Atlanta Braves, I you know, it, it's, it's a simple exercise. You know you, you think about any brand as a consumer, and then think about the associations that are triggered by it. Mm-hmm. You, know, you think about a as we're talking about it, Coca-Cola. You know, I think of the Mean Joe Green commercial from the 70s. I think about the flavor of it. I think about, you know, going to the Coke Museum here in Atlanta with my kids. Okay, well, guess what? Now what sports has done or been forced to have done to them. Now when I think about the San Francisco 49ers, I think about Colin Kaepernick Mm -hmm. and the kneeling controversy. Mm -hmm. And now when I think about the Atlanta Braves, my head goes pretty quickly. It used to go to Dale Murphy and Glavin, and Maddox, and Chipper Jones. Mm-hmm. If you ask me right now, now my mind goes to Brian Kemp and, and Stacey yeah, and the Abrams.
1: Georgia voting su- suppression you know, hoopla that's going on right now. And the most interesting part of it, and this is what I was getting at by saying it's more about the feelings than the facts, the most interesting part is that the Atlanta Braves have absolutely nothing to do no, with
0: pure victims in this Yeah, show. they have
1: nothing to do with I mean let's let's say this law is evil, you know, let's say this law is is something um that is horrific. The Atlanta Braves have no say in that. They have no involvement in that. And so pulling business from them, pulling directing people away from them in their fan base and especially knowing the demographic of Atlanta Braves fans, I would not imagine that that they are uh, further and passion for MLB baseball because of this, um, and, and knowing the full situation, especially knowing the biases of of a lot of those fans and and, and that demographic as well, a whole.
0: Okay, so just for the non-local here, I'm I'm just going to hazard a guess that the Atlanta Braves fan base is uh, 60 to 65 percent Republican Donald Trump voting. I mean, it's it's
1: base. a lot of older people too. I so know.
0: okay, so here's another. Here's another article, and then we'll wrap this one up. Yeah. So this was by Juan Williams, who's a guy, one of the liberal talking heads on Fox. Now, how about some strong action from the owners of professional sports teams based in Atlanta? The Atlanta Braves, Atlanta Falcons, and Atlanta Hawks. And so that was an interesting statement. Well, and he goes on, is the new Georgia Jim Crow law consistent with their team's values? If not, what are they going to do yeah. about it? And so you see where this is going now where people are being put into very narrow boxes. And like I said, I have no idea how this, where this goes from here. This one seems like to me though, that we're reaching a point where there's not much room to give on either side. Mm -hmm. Um, And so is this something that's going to produce a pretty dramatic fracture in terms of fandom and the business of these teams
1: yeah on the one hand um, absolutely like I think that it causes division it causes negative associations but at the same time like as a sports fan like if it's one of my teams and there's some political agenda that they're not standing up for that I believe in or or vice versa, if they're standing up against something I believe in as a you know as an organization or whatnot, and they're still playing the games every week, and it's still the players that I love, and it's still the game that I love, I don't know if I'm not going to watch, like I don't know if I'm not going to wear or not go to a sporting event because of that, because there's a lot of things in in music and in film that we accept, you know, the, these people might not believe the same thing that I believe, but they're good at what they do, and I can enjoy that. Uh, but it's more and more of a cancel culture where it's like if this team does not take a stance against this, everybody needs to stop watching them. They need to not be part of the league. They need to not be involved. They need to lose their draft picks. I mean, for real. I know that sounds extreme, but it it does seem like we're moving and drifting more in that direction, well, where where their hand is forced in a sense, or or there's a major fracture.
0: I think your your perspective is the traditional one, right? But it appears that. Like I said, how long is that going to be an allowable mm-hmm. perspective? Mm-hmm. Okay, so as we uh as we move to wrap up this week, you wanna make a projection for uh wanna make a projection for tonight's championship oh, game? Oh man, I'm, I'm yeah, out of Or anything you're looking ahead to this week?
1: Um, championship game, I'll say Gonzaga specifically because I've been Hitting on this from day one. When I, when I made my bracket, I, I overcorrected for um, free throw percentage. I thought that would play a bigger factor in some of these games than it did. But with that said, Baylor is a poor free throw shooting team. Statistically, Gonzaga is not. These teams are somewhat evenly matched. I do think Baylor has an advantage with the guards. I do think Gonzaga has an advantage inside. Um, I expect a very competitive game. And competitive games often come down to free throws. And I just have to go with the team that's stronger in that area when I'm, when I'm dead even on everything else. So I am going with Gonzaga. As far as what I'm looking forward to otherwise, it's, it's funny. like The NBA is in season right now, and I'm a fan, but I'm really a postseason fan. And until that cranks up, it's just kind of meh. And it's almost like the NFL draft hype is the most exciting event after March Madness, it seems.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on both of those, actually. the um, I'm pulling for Gonzaga because I think that is the, that's the best narrative. That's yeah. the best story. That's what we've kind of developed through this. And I'm absolutely loving, and, and look, this is an annual thing for me. I'm loving the run-up to the NFL draft. I love this endless discussion <laughs> of these quarterbacks moving up and down draft lists. In some ways, there's nothing better for that. Nothing better than that. Okay, and with that, let's wrap it up for this week. As always, much more at www.fandomanalytics.com. So until next time, thank you for listening.